0: The following is a production of the Phoenix Studios Podcast Network here at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. For more podcasts, be sure to visit uwgb.edu forward slash podcasts. This is Serious, Serious,
1: Serious Fun.
0: Hello and welcome to another long-awaited new episode of Serious Fun. As always, I am your host, Dr. Brian Carr. And apologies for the uh, gap between episodes. Um, it's, if you are just tuning in and, and for this one, you might not know that the last new proper Serious Fun we did that wasn't a emergency crossover episode last week um, was in December back when Star Wars came out, which feels like an eternity ago uh it's it, it has been so long just so long since we were arguing about rise of skywalker and part of me wants to go back a small part um who, who could have known that it would take being stuck inside to get this show back on track but here we are back once again on the phoenix studios podcast network and i'm glad we are because i have to be in here in my home listening to the sound of my own voice i might as well be getting a podcast out of it Uh, So what are we here to talk about today? Well, professional wrestling is an industry full of very large people in skin-tight costumes pretending to fight each other for the amusement of millions. Even by that standard, it's been a bit of a weird one for pro wrestling. The COVID-19 pandemic has led to a cessation of mass gatherings of people having a tremendous impact on sports and live entertainment events around the world. So naturally, it's having an impact on the business that is both sport and live entertainment event. As major wrestling companies like All Elite Wrestling and World Wrestling Entertainment struggle to figure out how to fulfill contractual programming obligations in front of empty arenas. WWE even went so far as to host its biggest annual show and the Super Bowl of Wrestling, WrestleMania, over two nights in front of a crowd of zero and also Rob Gronkowski. So I'm glad to be back in general, but especially in, this, in light of this, because my guest this week is Dr. Carolyn Reinhard, Reinhardt, Associate Professor in Communication Arts and Sciences at Dominican University and President of the Pro Wrestling Studies Association. She's here to help us make sense of this particular moment in wrestling history and why it matters. Carrie Lynn, welcome.
1: Hi! It's, it's I think, is this the first time we've actually met Matt? I don't remember if we met in person once before. Uh, it's possible. It's the first time we've
0: probably spoken over <laughs> some kind of... Like, you, like, you might be the first time you've heard my actual voice. Uh, I think so. We certainly tweet a lot and, and, and communicate uh, via email and that sort of thing. So uh, it's, it's not working. Not coming in this completely blind.
1: No, no, and it's it's good to hear your voice.
0: Oh, it's good to hear yours too. How are you holding up?
1: Pretty good. Um, I've got Animal Crossing to keep me occupied, which has been really sure. good. <laughs> so that, on top of everything else, it's it's been helping to you know. Keep you level and not minding being unable to do stuff. Yeah, uh,
0: that's pretty much it. It's like you know, if if I can't leave my home, at least I can go to a pretend island where my neighbor is an otter and nothing can hurt me. (laughs) Exactly. Except for the wasp. The wasp will get you like immediately.
1: Those tarantulas
0: too. I hate those things. So I've been able to catch wasps. I don't know if have you been able to like uh, catch a wasp?
1: Yes. uh, Um. I learned that, and I learned how to catch the tarantula.
0: I haven't gotten to the tarantula yet. I I mean, every time I've been able to try to catch one, they somehow get past my net and and, uh, sting me and and kill me. Um, Well, and so, like, they just sort of, like, knock you back to your house. I assume it's someone that, uh, someone just drags you back there. Like, maybe it's Tom Nooks. Like, I can't have, you know, a dead body out here on the beach. That's bad for business. I'm going to put him back in his front yard. Um, But uh, I don't know how you get there. But when you well, the first time you catch the wasp though, you're like, "I'm," you, it's pretty good. Like you feel pretty good about yourself. It's
1: well, I will say the first time I caught the tarantula because before then those things were terrifying me. Mm-hmm. But now, now that I know you can sneak up on them when you're holding the net, so you just mm-hmm. slowly move towards them, that seems to work fine.
0: Yeah, that will help a lot. The, the sneaking thing uh, is sort of a game changer. That. But Animal Crossing in general doesn't teach you how to do that. In fact, they don't teach you how to do much of anything Um, for a game that's very user-friendly and cute that does not tell you how to play it.
1: Which I actually kind of like in in some regards. And yeah, it's for someone who's completely new to it. I'm glad I have people who have played it before.
0: Yeah, it definitely helps. Uh, This is my second one. Um, And I find myself having to still go on Twitter and just be like, I don't know how to do this. Please, somebody tell me, you know, even though Google is right there, I just (laughs) I I like the human touch. What can I say? (laughs) Uh, So we can talk about Animal Crossing for a while, but uh, we are here for other reasons. But we can always come back to Animal Crossing later. Uh, We're here to talk about pro wrestling. And uh, Dr. Reinhard, you are yourself the president of the Pro Wrestling Studies Association. Uh, And that in itself, I think, is an interesting story. But uh, the first thing I like to do whenever I have a guest on for the first time is I like to ask them a question that I learned pretty early on in my undergrad career from one of my professors uh, who was a reporter who would always ask the question, you know, tell us the blank story, like tell us the story of how you got here, who you are, that sort of thing. So I always like to start off with that. So tell us the Dr. Carolyn Reinhardt story. What got you here? What made you become the president of the PWSA?
1: So it's interesting. Um, I never watched professional wrestling when I was younger. It wasn't something my family was into. I think the guys in high school that I played D&D with were into it, but Mm -hmm. it just looked stupid to me. And basically from then until more recently, I never really gave it much thought. Um, I, I... had those ideas about it being you know sexist and racist and all those negative things. So I never really paid it any attention. And it turns out that my partner had the completely opposite experience because he grew up with professional wrestling. His, his grandmother I guess was a huge fan at one point she was so into a match that she was not only gripping the arms of the chair but she ripped the arms off of the chair is how much she was into a match wow. Yeah, and um, he, he didn't really watch it when, when we started getting together and everything, but when we moved to Chicago, he started his master's program, and then he started talking with some people there about professional wrestling and about how the concept of um, hyper-reality and the sim- simulation, the simulacra, and all these mm-hmm. postmodern ideas apply to it. And that got me interested. Um, also at the same time is when I saw Mick Foley showing up on The Daily Show. And mm-hmm. I was really impressed by how intelligent what he was, how compassionate he was. He just completely blew away these stereotypes and preconceived notions I had about professional wrestlers. So I started looking into him and his what he did. And then I also found... On I think it was ion TV wWE main event was airing yep. on Wednesday yep. nights and Chris was away at at grad school and his program so I'm like, oh I got I want to see about watching. I want to see what this is all about And that was big and around the same time is also when NXt really got started and it was really NXt that got me into the program I mean we got It through Hulu we got it the network as soon as we could I fell in love with a number of wrestlers and it was kind of the start then of the entire fandom but as I was getting into the fandom and starting to think about how professional wrestling didn't fit in with those stereotypes in the past research I started wondering well why don't we have an organization or journal or some type of academic institution dedicated to studying this. And I put together a panel for a conference, met a couple people there, started meeting some more people and we decided at one point at a conference then well okay well let's do this. So in 2017 we started the work to launching what would become the Professional Wrestling Studies Association and yeah it's been. Well, almost three full years now because we launched the website in summer of 2017. And now we've just put out our first journal issue and we've just held our first academic symposium.
0: Wow. Uh, the wrestleposium. Yes. So That's, what, what that,
1: I... actually, that actually took a while to get the name because we were going through a lot of different iterations until we mm-hmm. finally just decided on that one.
0: Well it, and it lends itself well because you you know WrestlePosium one, WrestlePosium two, mm-hmm. WrestlePosium three, that one's gonna be in the silver dome, uh what's so. left of it. Uh, um, but, but uh yeah, okay, so that's so that's really, really interesting. And uh, you know, and, and a lot of your work of course focuses on this. Um and that's a big part of uh how I think we sort of connected. Um oh, I I think that was the origin of it. Uh, to be honest with you, I don't remember. I' <laughs> um, so like t- time is kind of fleeting. it just like I don't know, like I think today is Friday. I don't know. I can't be one hundred percent sure. um
1: when I woke up this morning, I thought it was Saturday. I was very confused that it was Friday,
0: like why isn't it Saturday? But, I don't know, every know. Day is every day is every other day. Um, <laughs> so that's a really interesting thing because normally when you hear about people coming into wrestling, it's like I liked it as a kid, and then I came back to it as an adult um. It's, it's rare that you hear someone kind of getting into it uh, as an adult, but uh, you, you jumped in with both feet.
1: Yeah, I was actually interested in it because of the fakeness. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I kind of went the other route for getting into it, I guess. So uh, let me run something by you.
0: This is something uh, I, I'm uh, hopefully once all of this settles, I'm going to be having a longer conversation about this on a diff- different show for the Phoenix Studios Podcast Network TM. I've been making the case, and I don't think people are taking me seriously when when I say this, but I have made the case that professional wrestling is really the only way to understand our current culture, our current society. And I believe when you talk about the simulacra nature of it, the the, the fakeness, um, in in many ways it's very instructive for how we think about things uh, in, in other contexts, whether it's sort of popular culture more broadly or even our politics right um i have in the back of my mind like uh and i'm not going to give it out here because i might still want to write it um but looking at like how you know guys like dusty Rhodes and cm punk you know craft these sort of rhetorical narratives about who they are and what they represent and what they value and how you know you can find like you know the, the truthfulness or the lie in that and how you can apply that to certain politicians who i won't you know, name, but are currently the president, Um, there's a lot of similarities. Uh, What do you think
1: about that? Am I completely off base here? No, a lot of people are talking about that from scholars to fans to wrestling journalists as well. I mean, there's, it's both kind of, on the one hand, very nice that Trump is president because this WWE Hall of Famer is... Essentially, one of the reasons why I can say, hey, we need stuff like professional wrestling studies right now. We need Mm -hmm. to be able to understand what this thing is because of who is in charge. And there are a lot of people who have been making those connections. They're saying, you know, well, when Donald J. Trump is going out, he's essentially doing this cavefabe, he's essentially performing a particular type of narrative, and he's cutting promos at his rallies and everything like that. And Mm -hmm. at the same time, I think if we look at this idea of professional wrestlers performing and how kayfabe or that fakeness is essentially co-constructed where the fans have to buy into it, it does help us to understand almost everything because you start understanding about the social constructed nature of reality civilization all the different institutions, these things wouldn't exist if we weren't all buying into it to some degree. Right.
0: Yeah. And, and it's interesting that you do see some wrestlers actually going into the political arena. Uh, Kane is currently the mayor of a town mm-hmm. in what Tennessee, I think. Yes. Um, yeah. his hometown. And it's very, very, fascinating to to see how easily you can make that jump right of course jesse ventura was the governor of minnesota for a while um it's almost like there's a similar skill set there
1: well and it's similar though to actors doing the same thing i mean we've had um ronald reagan was our first you know celebrity politician in a great sense and we've had others as well i mean sonny bono has done it al franken has done it of course arnold schwarzenegger and it's partly this idea that if you are good at performance, then you seem to be good at being able to handle yourself in situations where you might have to perform. And that can be in the political arena, it can be in the sports field, or it can be on a stage.
0: Right, and I think there's something really interesting to that. So when The Rock runs for president in eight years, um, you heard it here first, like there's gonna, he's gonna have some built-in advantages. Um, <laughs>
1: Yes. And I think uh, if you want another interesting way to look at it, look at the movie Idiocracy, Mm. because in that movie, the president was a wrestler. (laughs) Uh,
0: So kind of building off of that, uh, so much of wrestling, and and I've been trying to explain this to people because I have just decided at this point in my career that, you know what, I've got tenure. I'm just going to like be out with it. I am a pro wrestling fan. Um, (laughs) And so, like, I don't have to hide this anymore. Uh, people are, are at this point pretty much used to what, to my whole degree of nonsense. And so, I try to explain it to people, like, what is the appeal of it? Why does it? Why is it interesting? And one thing I found kind of resonates is when you describe it as this sort of live stage performance, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's theater, but it's theater built on this sort of call and response, you know, where the fans are reacting to things happening in the ring, they're reacting to catchphrases, they're reacting to, to near pinfalls. They're reacting like to things like okay, we know there are certain spots that have to happen, right? So if the good guy chops the bad guy, we go yay. If the bad guy chops the other, you
1: you have to go woo.
0: Well, no, but but in some cases they also do the thing now. I guess more it's more for punches. I should I should correct myself. You know, you punch the bad guy, yay. The bad guy punches back, boo. And as they go back and forth, the, the the chant speeds up to keep up with it. That's a really specific sort of thing. It feeds on that crowd energy and you know it's kind of one thing to see like you know the 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 promos where the where wwe will talk about like oh we couldn't do this without the fans but in a very real way they couldn't right and yet they're in a position where now they have to and it's not the first time we've had matches that are done in front of basically nobody right the kind of knock on a lot of wrestlers who came up through the indie scenes that they wrestled in front of high school gyms in front of nobody um which is you know there's truth to that but rarely is it in front of absolutely nobody Right. Other than a few other wrestlers, maybe essential stage group. How does this change the dynamic and which wrestlers have you noticed have adapted to this well?
1: And it is interesting. I mean, if if we do think about like a theater, like your play, like you're talking about, which and there are a lot of performance studies folks who also study professional wrestling for that reason. I mean, you can have a play without an audience, at least in, in how we think of theater in more of a western civilization sense because again you can also read a play a play can be written down and you can just read it and it's just you and you don't even have the actors or anything but Mm -hmm. with professional wrestling that doesn't work because there you you could i guess if you wanted to write out a match move for move spot for spot but it wouldn't at all be the same, and it, it would be a weird read for one thing. So, you then think about, okay, well, what is the role of the audience in all of this? And mm-hmm. in some regards, in some places... The audience is really important, especially when you are at those live events, because I've been at live events where the audience was not engaging in the call and response and was, Mm -hmm. you know, you just hear this buzzing sound all around you, but they're not really paying attention to the match. And it does feel like it's deflated. And you have wrestlers then who they will legit after the match essentially yell at the fans for not paying attention Mm -hmm. and not being engaged. So it does really impact the the dynamic because a lot of wrestlers will also talk about how the match is kind of like this improv where you have to of course work with the other people in the match in order to you know get the move sets right and to not hurt one another. but a lot of them are also improving with the audience and it's part of the fun then to see how the wrestler responds to the audience and how the audience responds to the wrestler, where it can even completely change how the match was supposed to go based on how the audience is responding. Really good wrestlers can do that type of improv with their partners and then with the audience as well. So when you don't have the audience, it does, it does change the dynamics, and I have um, I have a couple friends who've been really focusing and talking about this lately. Um, Chris Majetski is one of them, and he is talking about how like the more recent WWE matches feel more cinematic, but how mm-hmm. when they have more of a cinematic feel, they don't feel like professional wrestling anymore, and so. A number of us are starting to even think about, well, what is professional wrestling? Like, how do we define it? Is it only occurring when you have people in a ring and the ring is surrounded by an audience? Or can professional wrestling be thought of as having like different subgenres or, or, or having different approaches to it? And that's an interesting conversation that's going on right now.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting, especially since I've seen some of that kind of uh, idea is that, you know, I signed on to I'm a wrestling fan. I want to see wrestling. I don't like the pre-taped stuff Um, for me personally. uh, And I think part of it is so I watched all of WrestleMania, um, which doesn't sound like a big undertaking, but it's a long show. If if you've never watched WrestleMania, um, it's the last few and this one included have been somewhere in the neighborhood of like seven plus hours long. They used to do it all in one day, um, presumably because of the fact they're doing it in front of an empty audience. They figured they couldn't do seven hours straight of that. Um, So now it was two nights, which I think, honestly, it should be going forward. But um, the thing that stuck out for me is we had some very good matches. I mean, no, you know, not a patch on anybody who was in that ring. Like it is, I actually said uh, uh, in kind of like private channels like this, honestly, anybody who goes out and does this in front of nobody deserves a medal. Like this is tough to do. Um, But the stuff that stuck with me were the pre tape things, were the uh, uh, the boneyard match between (laughs) The Undertaker and AJ Styles, which is basically just two two grown men pretending to fight in a graveyard Um, with. And and then like there's there's like it basically it looked like a uh, like a high school student film in a lot of ways, but in a good way. I don't know how to describe it Um, like there's there was a charm to it. And then uh, you, got, you had the, uh, the Bray Wyatt-John Cena match, which I, I, I always hesitate to show people who are not already wrestling fans wrestling matches. This one I would show to just about anybody because it is a brilliant um, sort of metaphorical takedown of the entire concept, not only of John Cena, but of professional wrestling in general, and the WWE more specifically. Um, it is almost like the the way I've described it on Twitter is like if you had Grant Morrison book a match this is what you would get is this weird sort of metatextual uh reflective thing that is kind of funny and off-putting and disturbing and also just kind of leaves you haunted by the end of it. Um that to me like and and I had those feelings and I'd like those are also the feelings I would have after a really good wrestling match, right? Um where you know you really have the everything firing in all cylinders and almost like I wonder if that even is a useful distinction at that point.
1: Well, and one of the things that I always come back to is, and I know like Annette Hill has talked about this too, is that emotional aspect of engaging with professional wrestling. You can have, you know, all these different like pre-taped or live with an audience, without an audience and so on and so forth. But if you're not emotionally invested in the wrestlers, in the story they're trying to tell, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't matter how it looks, because you're not going to be paying as close of attention. You're going to be detached from what it is you're seeing. So the more that they can bring in that emotional quality, the more they can entangle you in it, and the more you're going to buy into whatever it is they're trying to present. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... and, and oh, sorry, go ahead. And and having other fans, though, around you, either at a live show or taking their cues from a um, a televised show, you get kind of that emotional resonance with other people and it helps you to be cued in to, to be paying attention, to have that type of buy-in. So, without having those fans, it can make it harder for you to keep paying attention um, because you may lose interest if you don't have the emotional investment already in the wrestlers in the match.
0: Yeah, and you know, I, I think also, too, the, the thing that gets left out of this a lot is that we already have clear precedent for this sort of thing. Um, shows like Lucha Underground, for yeah. instance, uh, really played with the format and it became almost more of a televised, uh, well, telenovela, really, um, that happened to have wrestling matches sort of uh, bookending a lot of the uh, story stuff. Um, And then, of course, you had the classic uh, Matt Hardy, you know, the dilapidated boat, all the stuff he was doing uh, in Impact uh, and kind of did to a much, much weaker extent in WWE. Um, Those were all just pre-taped, goofy nonsense, but people ate those up. So I'm just wondering what the disparity is between people loving that and not being a big fan of what they did uh, last Sunday
1: yeah and and my partner he in our book uh convergent wrestling he and another wrote a, a whole chapter on lucha underground and they called it you know a tele- telenovela with wrestling and the thing though with lucha underground is it's not around anymore and i think aew to some extent is picking up that slack and the fact that they have like you know lucha underground people and they have um a matt hardy there now so they're I think there might be pushing the boundaries with that more, especially if you look at how AEW started because of that type of stuff with being the elite. Um, Mm -hmm. But I do think what we see when we look at everything from the most far out there type of thing that Lucha Underground or Matt Hardy was trying to do with their mythical stuff to the more butts, uh, butts and notes. Mm no, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Both, the nuts and bolts, nuts and bolts. Of w- nuts and bolts, yeah, of WWE, and just trying to keep it, you know, as based in reality as possible. We have this huge spectrum, but uh, <laughs> part of what's also happening is because we have this huge spectrum, we also have people who might like one aspect of the spectrum more than another aspect of the spectrum, and. It can turn into then these types of fractured fandoms where you have people who will greatly argue with one another about what it is, and we even go and look at, um, oh, was it, was it the ricochet will Osprey match in Japan? Yes, yep, yes. Mm -hmm. And how that one, you know, really started to indicate that there was this huge fracture between people who wanted what looks like more, you know, just rough. hitting you know roar more of a physicality of just like more of what like actual wrestling is versus the people who like things that are more high flying and gymnastic and and those types of movements and i think the main thing to remember and again i'm going to point to my partner chris because again he's my influence in all this is that we got to look at this as like this really big three ring circus and Mm -hmm. if there's not something in this one wrestling show or wrestling promotion for you. There's probably something in a different one. and just you know, go look at that one instead and don't don't get mad at the people who like to watch the stuff happening in the other ring. Mm-hmm.
0: See, for me, what I the other way that I try to explain uh, wrestling to people is to me, so I, I grew up like a massive fan of Street Fighter, the uh, the video game, right? and you know just the 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 colorful characters from all these different walks of life coming together bringing their own unique styles and all just fighting each other to see who is the best like that to me was really really appealing and that's also kind of why you know that and like comic books and all that was like a real natural springboard into pro wrestling right um because they're almost the exact same thing when you really get down to it uh so I, i i don't know like maybe that is also part of it like what kind of guides you in or the experience you have with it when you first see it might also kind of have an impact on that
1: i think so and i i think like be, again because i didn't grow up with any of it but i did grow up with you know comic books and superheroes and all of those as well i have an easier time buying in to all of that and i like to think of what i'm seeing in the ring more like if, if somehow I was able to see Jackie Chan and other martial artists do all of their things live mm-hmm. in front of me. Right. That to me, the the fact that, yeah, it, so what if it's predetermined and, and, you know, they're calling their moves and whatnot. I mean, martial art movies are all <laughs> predetermined and they're calling their moves, but we still can you know be in awe of what people can do with their bodies and with their wills and that's where I'm really fascinated is the mm-hmm. sense of what people can accomplish when they really work hard because I've never been able to even fathom having the type of mindset that gets you ready to do something like professional wrestling. The idea of even taking a fake fall scares me and I would mm-hmm. I would hate doing that because I know what it's like to really fall. So I really admire, you know, martial artists and I admire professional wrestlers because of that physicality that they're willing to engage in. And then if they're able to do the good character work and the good story work whether it's fantastical or realistic, on top of that athleticism, I mean, that's just, it's amazing to me. It's just brilliant.
0: It is. And what, what really always strikes me about it is, uh, and, and the other thing I we usually tell people is when it's done right, there are a few things that are more narratively and dramatically satisfying than pro wrestling. Yes. Especially when they pay attention and they get the story right, you know, one of the ones, uh, one of the examples I like to give is there was a match back, uh, this is, oh God, how many years ago is this? Um, Sami Zayn was fighting Neville for the oh, NXT so championship. So good. Uh, so good because they had built him up. This is a guy who, you know, very lovable, very kind hearted. Just it's a run of bad luck. Just cannot seem to put it together. He gets a chance to go up this against Neville, who's this really cocky, you know, really, you know, kind of full, really feeling himself at this point. And he has the chance uh, when the Neville's back is turned to hit him with the championship belt. And you can see the just the anguish, like, do I want to be this person? Do I want to go down this road? And, like, I actually yelled, Sammy, don't do it (laughs) at my TV because I was so caught up in it, right? And to me, like, that is good television, regardless of the form it takes. I don't do that with, like, Law & Order, right? I don't (laughs) do that with most TV shows. But because I had been so invested in his character and he was so good at conveying in the sort of broad pantomime way, I guess, arguably, because you are kind of doing that, even though you're on TV, you still kind of play to the cheap seats a little bit. Um, You know, he got that across so perfectly, and when he actually wins it fair and square, it's an even more exciting moment. So stuff like that, like, you can't replicate that in other media as well.
1: Well, I think in some regards, though, you can. I mean, that idea of being able to build... An emotional investment in a character really is a strength of uh, a seriality. So, mm-hmm. serial storytelling is really good and for that type of investment, and that's why we see a lot of it with like comic books or or book series or um, television shows. But even like the MCU and how you can True. continuously have these experiences with the same characters and you, you, you experience the characters' successes and failures and all of that, I think that type of seriality can occur in other places. But when you add to it the knowledge that these are people who are putting their bodies, their lives, their livelihoods on the line because any one little miscalculation and you break your neck. Mm-hmm. That type of, of risk, and I mean, so my favorite right now is the uh, Johnny Gargano, Tommaso Ciampa storyline. Yes, yeah, so you think about this a lot. Yes, I do. Uh, because you're, you're a big I'm, fan. I'm really invested, and I'm doing research in it, but they just had um, one of those empty arena matches, and I was invested in it even without the audience there. Because they were doing things to their bodies that I know is not good. Mm-hmm. And yeah, a lot of that might be faked and, you know, camera work and so on and so forth. So you don't, it doesn't really look as bad as it is. But then there are things where, yeah, they are doing stuff and I can see the marks on their bodies. And when I see that, it just kind of intensifies that emotional re- engagement that I have with the characters that they're also doing, because not only do I care about their characters, I care about the people too who are right. doing all of this to make their characters as engaging as possible.
0: I'm thinking of this week's AEW where Britt Baker broke her nose in the ring. Oh rain. my god! Yes, and that was just so much blood. blood. My wife's like, "Why aren't they stopping this?" <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. Like, they really should. But it did add and also gave you a higher level of appreciation that, you know, they are in many ways these kind of bigger than life comic book characters, but they are also very much human.
1: Yeah. And
0: like this is a tremendous risk. You, you know, you can't fake gravity. You can't fake you know, an errant elbow to the face. Right. Yeah. Um, these, you know, that, that I think people like if you don't follow it, you don't really realize it. And I think kind of getting back to the Sami Zayn example, like that, that blurring of the line between reality and you know the kayfabe idea which we've talked about uh, on if you know for i just have to think back like okay not everybody follows wrestling so i have to kind of explain to the audience so um if you don't if you're not familiar with what we're talking, we're talking about kayfabe kayfabe is essentially the kind of fictional reality constructed by wrestlers and the narrative and the matches they they do um And that blurring of the line between the reality and the kayfabe is really what makes it so effective, right? So, when a guy like Sami Zayn, like, you know, this might be his last shot because, quite frankly, it might be his last shot, right? You know, this is a guy, he's one of those guys that has never really broken through in a big way. He's not the typical WWE guy. Daniel Bryan did a very similar story in WrestleMania 30 where he was the guy that everybody loved, all the fans were behind, but he was just a little tiny guy. Uh, You know, he is not the sort of, you know, and, and they sort of played on that expectation, like, WWE doesn't like little guys, right? They want the big, tall, athletic, handsome guys that, you know, played football or can go on and open a movie or something like that. Um, And that heightens the drama because like it does play on that existing knowledge we have. Um, So all that coming together, I think that's a really good point that the physicality and the behind the scenes stuff and all of this ties together in a really meaningful way.
1: Which is why it's also really good to go to the live show too. Um, live shows I think I notice you know whiffs uh, or botches or you know when, when the moves don't exactly land and you can tell that they're not really hitting one another. You can see those more at live shows but the, the sounds and the smells that you also get along with the sights so you have all that embodied experience just right. adds to that emotional engagement even more.
0: Yeah, I remember uh, we went to go see Smackdown a couple of years back and uh, um, I believe Kane came out and the, the, they were still doing the pyro back then. So when mm. his fire goes off, you could feel it in the back of your neck and like it was just a really kind of cool like thing, uh, you know, to just sort of add to that sense of presence. hmm. Exactly. And also, uh, one of my other favorite things is watching wrestlers roll out of the ring when they cut to commercial and just sort of scurry to the back so nobody can see them. I love the little runs they do to try to avoid being seen. (laughs) It's hilarious. Like, there's nothing like it. I I strongly recommend everybody just try to get out to see a, a live wrestling show at one point during your life. It's worth it.
1: It is. And especially if you also are interested in more of the indie scene, too. I mean, I was able to meet Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano before they became as big as they are now. So you, it's nice being able to have interactions. I mean, I've, I've had great interactions with, like, Colt Cabana and um, Sammy Callahan, Zack Sabre Jr. I mean, Pentagon Jr. and Phoenix are just wonderful in person. So it's it's great to also have that type of, of connection as well, which is very hard to do with other, like, athletes or celebrities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and one thing I've noticed, and and we're getting a little far off field here, but I think
0: it's all very much relevant, you know, is that wrestlers in general tend to be a little bit more open about that kind of stuff. Like, it's it's hard to get, you know, like, go to an NBA game and get LeBron to take a selfie with you, right? But every time I've gone to one of these shows, you'll see, like, you know, wrestlers run over, get a quick picture with a kid or something like that. Um, or, and then like, you know, uh, I, I met, I've, uh, I've met McFoley and like, I told the story, I don't know if I told it on the, on, on this podcast or not, but like, um, when we interviewed him for my college radio show, he was, he had just gotten off a flight from London to, all the way to Grand Rapids, Michigan, I think, and then drove all the way up to Mount Pleasant, Michigan. So that's gotta be like a day's worth of travel and still sat and talked with us for like half an hour. Just these two idiots who were just like starstruck, you know, he probably gets this all the time, but he was the kindest man. So there's just something kind of cool about that. Maybe because a lot of these guys were just kind of big fans and big nerds themselves getting into it. I don't know if that adds to it, but uh, yeah, I it's just something so. I have noticed.
1: I, I think there ha- is some great work that has to be done uh, looking at professional wrestlers as fans. Because a lot of them, yeah, they especially nowadays, the young ones, mm-hmm. they grew up with all of this. And so they have such an appreciation for it and for them, the fans of it. And I also think, though, there may be something about the status as the independent contractor and mm-hmm. that sense of constantly having to sell yourself in order mm-hmm. to work. And I think that that might be a part of it, too. It's, it's almost like you always have to be on. And that, that kind of goes in that idea of kayfabe, though, too, because with kayfabe, at least t- traditionally, there was that sense that you always had to be in character if you were out in public. So... Mm-hmm. There are the stories of wrestlers who were injured, you know, not legit injured, but their character was injured. So they had to go out in public as if they were actually injured, that type of thing. And I think that idea of kayfabe and that always on idea really applies to our modern lives now, especially with how we are basically creating our own personal brands and we have to always be selling ourselves on social media and, and all of that idea, how we have to be constantly on no mm-hmm. matter if we're out physically somewhere or if we're online.
0: Right. Yeah, and that's a, and that's a really interesting thing that again, um, you know, it, it's not uncommon. Certainly you could see parallels to that in like the music industry and that kind of thing, but mm-hmm. um but in wrestling, I don't know, especially the schedules they keep, even if you're not uh, working full time for like a WWE or something like that, which is a pretty demanding travel schedule in and of itself. But, you know, if you're an independent wrestler, you're on the road constantly just getting bookings here and there um, and still having the energy to do that. Like that is a demanding profession. Exactly. Uh, so speaking of uh, kayfabe and all that, one of the things uh, that I was I was curious about is if there anybody in particular – You know, we're obviously in kind of a new normal in a lot of things right now, and wrestling is no exception. Uh, You know, who do you think as a wrestler is doing well in this new environment? Is there anybody in particular that struck you as being able to adapt uh, to not having anybody there to react to?
1: I don't know if if I can think of like particular. Matt Hardy. Chris is mm-hmm. Chris is here and he's saying Matt Hardy. And I think Matt Hardy is actually pretty good with that. I think Jericho as well, because Chris, Chris Jericho's whole thing was the reason AEW doesn't have any crowds right now is because he's banned them all from the stadium, which or is hilarious, Europe, which is it is amazing that ability to to spin it that way.
0: So I I am going to be honest with you. I think Chris Jericho is probably the greatest of all time. I'm just going to put that out there. Like he is just hilariously good at everything.
1: Chris, uh, Chris is uh, vigorously agreeing with you right now. And yeah, so I do think, and I think that idea of, we mean, someone like Matt Hardy having, you know, the pre tape stuff, he has more of that type of performance ability. So he doesn't need to feed off of a crowd, even though when we saw him live, he was definitely feeding off of the crowd. Um, so it will be interesting to see what happens when the AEW crowds come back. I'm also thinking MJF to an extent mm-hmm. as well. Oh, just just because of how good his online stuff is too. Mm-hmm. Um, and see, that's the other thing is I've been watching a lot of the AEW stuff. I haven't watched as much of the WWE reactions and their empty mm-hmm. arena stuff just because I've heard how Sad it is because AEW has been doing a very smart thing where they actually bring out the other wrestlers to essentially be that crowd around the right. ring. And that's really smart because you still have your your proxy there that helps you to understand how to relate to what's going on in the ring. Plus mm-hmm. you get to see more of your favorite wrestlers. And then the wrestlers in the ring can interact with those outside of the ring. I thought that was really great. But the last couple NXTs I've watched where they had no one except the people in the ring, it was just so quiet. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really pay much attention to even the big Champa Gargano one that was supposedly ended the feud. There were times when I just was like losing attention. So mm-hmm. I don't know exactly how well the WWE folks are doing in relationship to all of this. I think AEW has been handling it better. But it will. if, if this keeps dragging on, I imagine... God, I hope at some point I hope they actually stop physically wrestling, wrestling for a while. They, mm-hmm. can, they can go online and play video games and do it as esport for a while, and I think that would be mm-hmm. fine. But at some point we have to have them model you know don't engage with people
0: <laughs> it's, right. it's not essential right and that is kind of the irony of it and i'm honestly surprised like i get the build-up to wrestlemania um that is still a show you have to put on totally understand that even though you i, I mean i i guess you don't have to do it honestly but I see from from like the business side of it, they have to have something, okay. Um, And and certainly from the uh, you know, a lot of wrestlers get paid more for that show, so they still have to do something uh, for them. But um, yeah, as someone who has watched a lot of it, uh, I will tell you they are not doing it well. Um, (laughs) Like uh, it shows a lot that like uh, many of the wrestlers are still going through their kind of uh, you know this at this point. I will turn to the crowd and mug right? Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, I will call for a reaction. Uh, and a lot of that is just ingrained because there is a formula to the way they do it. Um, and, and, and honestly, it's kind of hard to break that. So I'm not I don't mean to cast aspersions, Because again, I think this is tremendously difficult to do even under the like, optimal circumstances. Um, but it is a disconcerting effect at times. Um, there have been a few instances, I think the Miz has done some funny stuff. Um, where he has, like, asked people to, like, tell him he's wrong if he says something. Of course, there's nobody there. Uh, you know, so that kind of stuff is fun. Um, Steve Austin, I don't know if you saw the clip of Steve Austin um, coming and doing his uh, 316 day and, you know, asking the crowd to tell him, hell yeah, and that sort of thing. Um, and then going to the crowd, and it's just an empty, silent shot. Uh, they actually play that up to almost be the sort of surrealist kind of, like, it was compared a lot to the Eric Andre show. Um <laughs> And uh I think has that exact same energy of this very odd sort of thing. And I think Austin is savvy enough that, that was probably his intent. Um, it was still awkward, but at least it was intentionally awkward. Um, but yeah, it is fascinating to see because that was one of the questions I want to ask is how these two companies are doing it very differently, and I think you can even like boil it down to like the specific shots, right? like the camera arrangement and the yeah. angles they get um, and and the sort of production differences they uh that they choose to use to kind of like get around that problem, of either not having crowds or having only minimal uh, staff on hand.
1: Yeah. Like I know AEW has been doing a smart thing where they, well, when they were first at, I think daily center or someplace where it was actually a bigger venue, but they've moved to a smaller venue. So you have it all curtained off. So you don't actually have an area for a crowd. So Mm -hmm. it almost feels more like that type of backyard wrestling. And even in being the elite, they're starting to do actual just backyard wrestling and mm-hmm. have just, you know, very small number of people there. Um, so, yeah, they, they have been very careful to not show the empty arena. But I'm also thinking about, like, that Champa Gargano one that they just had. <sighs> Where... It was supposed to be, you know, it's this undisclosed location that Triple H picked so that they can just, like, beat the crap out of each other. And at one point, they go outside, and they're wrestling on the top of the production truck. And I'm just looking, and there's this huge spotlight on the roof mm-hmm. of this building pointed, you know, directly at the top of that truck. And and it's it's kind of like that took me out of the moment, too, because you're really seeing the behind-the-scenes in a way that I'm not really certain they wanted to show. And if if unless you're you're making a point to do that, like the Steve Austin bit, it just mm-hmm. feels like you're not really taking account of the situation. And if you're not right. taking account of the situation and, and you know the affordances and constraints and and, and adapting to mm-hmm. the situation. I don't need to see the the same old, same old. That should just right. come back at another point. This is maybe a chance to innovate. And yeah. yeah.
0: And that's I think that's where wrestling's been most interesting is when it has innovated in in this light, right? Um
1: yeah.
0: or, or when the action is in such a way like the thing AEW does that's really, really smart is not only uh you know, not only are they positioning the camera like you know, uh I, I think you saw WWE do this pretty quickly thereafter, is pointing the camera at the ramp. You're not as drawn to the negative space uh, on the sides, Um, but also just keeping the energy and like the, uh, uh, the style of the match up. It almost feels like you are like, like you said, that backyard wrestling feel, but also like you're just hanging out with your wrestling pals, watching the fight. And and, and we were going back and forth on Twitter about this, actually um, that I felt like almost kind of like, it was almost intimate, I guess like, I felt, it wasn't me watching this awkward thing. It's like, hey, a bunch of us got together. We're all quarantined. Let's have a wrestling show. Um, you know, and, and that to me is, that really says something about the the approach they're taking, but also just as a fan, like, I like that feeling. That's a good feeling.
1: Well, and and think about it this way. If you do the pre-tape type matches, that means you can put the camera inside the ring and in places where you normally wouldn't be able to do And in some ways, it can almost produce this kind of like virtual reality experience where you're in the ring, Mm -hmm. you're there with the wrestler. And that, for some people, that could work. But again, you know, for other fans, no, they they want it back the way it was.
0: Sure. And I think we all do on some level. Like, I think almost in in some degree, that's almost just a call for normalcy more broadly. Um, Yeah. (laughs) But... But, yeah, like, I, I mean, on, on that level, I absolutely get it. Like, you you want to watch a specific thing, and that's not really what some of these matches are. Um, that said, I'm also the kind of guy who said, who would be the first to say, whatever Bray Wyatt wants to do, just let him do it. <laughs> like, if he wants to do this weird uh, avant-garde kind of meta-narrative teardown of his character and John Cena's character, Uh, over the years and compare them to other kind of like comparative uh, figures in the wrestling industry and include puppets and camera angles and dramatic Twin Peaks lighting and stuff like that yeah go for it let them go nuts Whoever, whoever,
1: no I was just going to say whoever locked Vince away in a closet during all of that (laughs) locking Vince away
0: yeah I, I I almost think that he probably like saw, he probably loved the idea. Like, I think that my mm-hmm. impression is that he has never liked being in the wrestling business and anything they can do to True. make it more like a movie he's excited about. True. <laughs> so, you know, uh, I guess the last big thing and we kind of touched on this a little bit is how we sort of uh, how do you think we kind of have to reorient ourselves as viewers? Right. So if you think about. Um, one of the strengths of pro wrestling is that at its base level, it's fairly simple, right? You have a good guy and a bad guy or some gradation therein as we get in kind of the more modern era where the, where the lines aren't quite as clearly drawn between face and heel, uh, fighting each other for some kind of prize or some kind of purpose, right? And a big part, if you've never watched a match or you don't know who these characters are, a big part of who you, who you decide is the hero or the villain is the crowd reaction, right? And also the way they, they're talked about, the way they carry themselves. But without that big part of it, it almost, to me, and I don't know if you have felt the same way watching some of this, like if you didn't have that prior connection to these people, uh, like I was watching uh, WrestleMania and they had, and again, maybe this is just a, an example of the product not being as strong as it could be, uh, with Charlotte fighting Rhea Ripley, I had no idea who was the he, who was the face and who was the heel. Um, like that, without that crowd reaction to kind of tell me who people wanted to see win, I'm just like, okay, this is happening. I don't know. Like, I have no frame of reference for this, right? And I guess I'm not really sure quite how to phrase what I'm getting at. But does that make sense? Like, what do you think about that?
1: No, I think it does. And I think like in regards to some the something like the Charlotte Flair Rhea Ripley. Po- if you're an NXT fan, then Charlotte is the you know, the outsider, she's more of the heel. But if you're mm. more of a main roster fan, or you know, or if you're Vince, um, then Charlotte is is right. the good guy. So, yeah, I mean, something like that is is complicated. But if you don't have that background knowledge, and you don't have the audience, and the, part of the thing, though, with an audience, though, too, is that The audience may have their own idea as to whose face and whose heel, and it may not align with what the wrestlers are trying to do, because, you know, Roman Reigns is supposed to be, you know, this big face, but Mm -hmm. a lot of times those live crowds are booing and booing him, same with John Cena, so sometimes the audience reactions can be contradicting what is meant to be in the story or in the characters but it can help I mean there are many times where I've been to a live show and I'm like I don't know who this person is but people around me do and Mm -hmm. I might go along with them or I might you know go against them I I think when it was um NXT TakeOver Chicago 2 um I was one of the few people cheering on Tommaso Ciampa and he was the heel at that point so, but it, it, it is meant to help you. And unless the wrestler is also really good with that character work and with doing the pantomime and and, and how they, you, you know, hold themselves, it can be hard to know sometimes who you're supposed to be cheering for unless you, you know, like something about them that is just specific to you.
0: Right. They have a cool costume or something like that.
1: Yeah. Um.
0: Exactly. Well Carolyn, uh, this has been a lot of fun. Like honestly, I could do this for hours more. Um, but uh, I think we both have things we have to get back to. so um,
1: unfortunately. Yeah.
0: Where can people find your work and uh, uh, follow you and check in with you if they want to know more?
1: Well, we do um, have for the Professional Wrestling Studies Association, we have the website prowrestlingstudies.org. And we're on Twitter at the PWSA. If people want to follow me in particular, I do a lot on Twitter as at Media Oracle. And I also have a website, playingwithresearch.com.
0: Fantastic. I definitely recommend following uh, Dr. Reinhardt on Twitter. Uh very, very much worth your time. So go uh, well, do you. that like right <laughs> now. So uh dr Carolyn reinhardt thank you so much for being on the show Uh, i will definitely will uh, if anytime you want to come back and talk about wrestling or anything else or even just talk about animal crossing uh (laughs) by all means you are you are more than welcome thank you so much for being on serious
1: fun i had a lot of fun thank you brian listen to a Phoenix Studio Production, the podcast network from the University of Wisconsin Green Bay. For more podcasts, visit uwgb.edu forward slash podcasts.